Broadcasting live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette. Two hours of sports talk like none other. Footnotes with your host, Kevin Foote. Little Roy G. Biv action was kind of nice to see. Um, I, um, I like rainbows. I think they're cool. Uh, and so it's um, that was good to see. But no, the weather does not. It already doesn't look real good outside. To be to be fair, it really doesn't. Now, with that, you know, apparently, it's supposed to be bad enough that they're canceling even, you know, sporting events. So, like tonight, St. Thomas More boys and girls basketball team was scheduled to travel across town to play against Lafayette Christian, and that game has been pushed back. And I, I I, haven't – no one has told me yet that everything is pushed back, but I think just about every – I kind of – my expectation is by the end of the day, everything's going to be pushed back. So if anybody is still playing tonight in the Acadiana area, let us know, please. But um, most of these reports that you hear, they're not allowing – extracurricular activities to take place so again i don't know what the weather's going to look like this afternoon but it does look fairly ominous already out there and it's um apparently not going to be a fun afternoon of, of traveling and being outdoors so take necessary precautions for sure um I don't know, maybe there'll be a lot of people out who will work a half a day and then go home for lunch and, and stay home if the weather's going to be that bad and not be, especially if you are, you know, in an office building with a lot of windows or or just don't want to be on the road during all of that kind of stuff, which is probably a wise thing to do. So uh, anybody who has any weather updates or weather discussion you know on a day where you know schools are getting cut short and it's a topic of conversation even though this is a sports show please uh, let us know and, and again it does affect high school sports in that it, it looks like um, the two or three coaches that have communicated with me they're everyone's pushing back to the more so Wednesday in terms of basket high school basketball and and I would think even potentially soccer as well I mean soccer is even worse I would think so they would certainly um being an outdoor sport um would be fitting on right along with with basketball so we will um kind of keep an eye on that Wednesday will become a Tuesday all right we will be we will be speaking with uh, at least that's the plan. UL men's basketball coach Bob Marlin at about nine um, thirty-five, and we will be speaking with Michael Schwab of the Jukebox Journal. I mentioned that yesterday. I know it. We're you know basketball season's kind of getting hot and heavy, and football season is. In the um, championship round for the AFC and the NFC, but pitchers and catchers report about a month, maybe a little less than a month for some teams. I haven't looked at the whole schedule, but in about three to four weeks, so we're getting close. Plus, today is Hall of Fame vote, so we'll be talking some Major League Baseball. Give us a little relief. 
I mean, I know nationally all everybody's talking about is Dak Prescott, Dak Prescott, Dak Prescott. I mean, enough, enough of that. Again, if you want to discuss Dak Prescott or, you know, whether they should keep him and, you know, it, it could fit right into the rest of the quarterback conversations that we've already had, especially since the Saints are a team that needs to find a quarterback. Um, got no issues with that discussion. But um, like I said yesterday, I think Dak is what he is. I think he's a good quarterback. Probably not a great quarterback. I think the number I saw, did I hear the, if I heard the number correctly or remembered, and, you know, I have bouts of senility here and there, uh, $48, 49000000 million against the cap for this upcoming season. You know, he's not that good of a quarterback. I, I think even diehard Cowboy fans, or in some cases, especially diehard Cowboy fans, would, would, would agree that he's probably not that good of the quarterback. But as they say, that's kind of the price of poker these days. The problem is, it, it, it's like we always say, and sometimes it's not an accurate statement. Okay, if you're going to fire the guy, who are you going to get? And that, you know, sometimes you get better. You just do. Sometimes you do upgrade. Um, but if you ditch on him, Better make sure you have a good backup plan. And it's not that easy to get one. Although, you know, there's some quarterbacks out there floating around, theoretically. Can you imagine? Look, Aaron Rodgers is already just so sickingly um to discuss and hear him talk and comment in his weekly shows. And he's just, he's just disgusting. Can and, and, and there's already way too much Dallas Cowboy talk around the country. So can you imagine if that cat ever ended up with the Cowboys? I don't think it's going to happen, but can you imagine if it did? Oh, man. Awful. All right, let's go to the game hotline. Hello. Um, yeah. I thought the same thing. I was I was thinking because what this is this was Dak what seven seasons with the team. I think they drafted him in sixteen. I think he was a starter that year. Yeah, so I think it's um, it wouldn't shock me. But hey, you know what? Let's get Tom Brady for a year. Let's, let's move on from Dak. Because um, I think most Cowboy fans, I'm you know when I listen to them, and I'm gonna get to that conversation about a fan. Because uh, you know me, I only, I only observe one team, and that's the same. Everything else, I just root for players. Uh, <clears throat> but anyway, uh, I'm thinking Tom Brady in a sense. Did you see that, Brady? And Man, then, Brady and then, Dallas. I, I would like Dak. I would take Dak as a quarterback. I would, I would, if the Saints signed Dak, I, would have, I wouldn't have any issue. Well, I mean, again, it, you know, it's just like we, we talked about in recent weeks with Derek Carr. I would take Derek Carr, but I don't want him for $40 million. The problem is, can you get an established quarterback at a decent price? That's that's the that's the trick. I mean, that's hard to do. Hey, man, when you talk to uh, that Cowboys fan, can you please ask him, how, how he's a Cowboys fan, 
His favorite uh, college team, collegiate team, is Alabama. His favorite basketball team is the Celtics, and his favorite baseball team is Red Sox. Now, of course, I see the Celtics and Red Sox. I see, you know, that's that's a regional. But I, I need to hear how does that's. Well, it's just you know what that is is. You know, the average... Your favorite drink is Coca-Cola. Yeah, I mean, yeah, exactly. Whoever, whatever spends the most money advertising, you know, that they, they just flock like flies. He, yeah. He need, this guy, Martin, that's his name, I think? He needs to explain that. I, I, for real, I, I, I need to hear this. How is this guy a, a Cowboys fan, Alabama? Oh, I don't know. How, how old is this guy? That, that's, I, I'm, that's what I want to know. Do you know how old he is? I don't. I mean, I met him at one of our guys' night out. He's a nice guy. As far as as I'm far sure as why he chose his teams, I have no idea. I'm sure we can have a beer together. I'm sure he's nice. But <laughs> I want is he is he forty? Is he in his forties? Uh, I would guess in his third. I would guess thirties. But again, I'm not always good at guessing age. But but yeah, I would guess. In his thirties would be my guess, and he's he's probably listening. He could call and and answer for himself. I'm sure, and, and, I'm sure he's listening. Yeah. I'm sure he's listening because you know I hear him. I didn't I know who you talking. were talking about, but if you're talking about Martin, I mean, I don't, I, I, I don't know. He he'd have to defend himself. You know me. I I've I've never pulled for Alabama going back to the seventies, um, and so yeah, I'm no, not I one that flocks history. to teams. You know what I'm saying? I, I already know how you feel. You know about teams, but I'm, I'm, it's just weird to me that you're not a Jazz fan. Well, again, I was, yeah, I, I was 11 and 12 years old. I had already started pulling for the Celtic, the Lakers, because there was no, there was no NBA team in New Orleans. I pulled for the Jazz in those two years, and when they left, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't leave with them because I was already a Laker fan. So I was like, I'm not gonna yeah, go please. pull for some Utah team when I was already a Laker fan. I feel you, but you know the Rockets. I can see you, Cowboy chain. I, I, I again, I can't explain it. It doesn't fit into anything else. Again, I made the decision. I was like six years old when I became a Laker fan, and the Lakers six or seven. And the Lakers weren't even the my first five years. Like I've told the story before, my first five years of pulling for the the Lakers. Everyone else in the Pacific Division either won the NBA final championship or made it to the finals and the Lakers never did and then they you know they cheated to get magic and they traded for Kareem and everything changed <laughs> was well, uh anyway um Sherm Lewis man I, I know you talk about Mike Dicker yeah I know I'm, I'm talking just out of you know out the blue but I wanted Sherm Lewis when uh back in 97 I wanted him I remember I um, but what, what, who you wanted, man? And I'm gonna hang up. And I know, you know, I'm just talking, man. It's just one of those days. I I, I, I understand. I I, I, I understand. Th- thanks for the call. Sometimes I one more thing. You ever have days where you're just looking at box scores, like old games? <laughs> I have done it. It's weird. All right, thank you. Thank you. I again, I'd have to go. I, I oh man, who who I wanted them when they hired Ditka. I'm sure I wanted Sherm Lewis. I wanted anybody more than Ditka. Moron is what Ditka is. But I, I, I really, I, I, I'd be guessing. I, I'd have to go back and look at old stories and, and to 
to for me to remember who I was supporting at that time. I don't really remember someone specifically. But Sherm Lewis was I'm sure I'm I can tell you I wanted Sherm Lewis ahead of Ditka. But I, I don't I don't remember. I'd have to go back and and remember that. All right. Um we'll take a timeout and we'll come back, talk a little bit more about that situation. Uh, hear any weather updates that we might get, and then we'll set the stage for Coach Moreland after that. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Which NFL MVP annoys Kevin Foote the most? Who is Aaron Rodgers? He's the most arrogant athlete I've ever seen. I think he's really, to his core, that arrogant. He really believes, why in the world are you even speaking to me? You are a lower form of human being. That kind of arrogance is what I'm talking about, and I think that's who Aaron Rodgers is. That is correct. Now, back to more footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Southwest Louisiana's Louisiana's Sports Station. Station. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. Want to remind you, again, we'll be talking to Coach Marlin at the bottom of the hour. And then my our friend Michael Schwab from the Juice Box Journal about 10.15 or so. Other than that, phone lines will be open. Uh, 706-0111. And let's go to those phone lines. Hello. Uh, all right. Let's try one more here. Hello. Hey, morning, Flex. How are you, sir? Ah, uh, you know, doing good, considering, you know, another Cowboys left, uh, lost, you know, but kind of figured uh, what's coming, you know. But so, I, got, I, got a, I got a question for you, buddy. Okay. Why is, the, why is the sky blue? Why is the grass green? Why is water clear? You know, why, I mean, why we got fingers? Why we got toes? You know? Last time I checked, you know, it, it was a free country, and you're free to to to, to support whatever whatever team you want, right? That's that's what makes sports so great, right? Well, I mean, yeah, yeah, it, it, it's certainly a, a free country. I mean, I, I, you know, you know, I, mean, I don't, I didn't but, remember whether you ever told me how you became a fan of all these teams, so I didn't want to answer for you. Look, I like. Um, and if you, you don't have to answer it, you know, because that's why I called in because I'm answering myself. I'm a big I'm a big boy, you know. You know, I, I'm an Alabama fan because I'm a Nick Saban fan. I always like Nick Saban. You know, I always, he, he's the greatest coach of all time, you know. Now, if he was insinuating I'm a bandwagon fan, that's not me. You know, I'm, I'm no bandwagon. I, you know me. I'm going to stick with my Cowboys through the thick and the thin. And like I was telling my buddy Paul, I'm not really a, you know, I, I'm a, I don't watch enough NBA you know, to, to say I have a favorite team. You know, I mean, I like Steph Curry. I like Luka, you know, I mean. But I, I don't watch enough NBA um, 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 to, um, you know, to say that uh, I'm a fan, you know, of a team, you know. I mean, like, but. Oh, and I, I don't uh, I don't either. Again, I, I, I had to give up basketball. I just, I couldn't do You it. know, uh, but like I said, I, I always did like Nick Saban, you know. I think he's a good coach now, Golden State. And I, I, and I always did hate him. You know, but uh, but anyway, um, I mean, back to the Dak Prescott conversation, you know, I mean, we, we almost got to keep – we, we kind of backed into a corner because 
there's really not good any good quarterbacks on the market right now that we can replace him with. You know, Dak Prescott, like I told um, RP3 uh, yesterday, Dak Prescott is average at best. I'd put him in the same. I'd put him in the same category as like Derek Carr or like um, Jimmy G. I mean, he he's average. He, it's Dak Prescott. He's gonna throw interceptions. He's not gonna. He he's just like Kirk Cousins. When the lights on him. He, 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 he's going to choke. That's what you get. That's Dak Prescott. Press and I don't think a guy like even uh, like Sean Payton can come in there and even change him. It's still going to be the same old Dak. Because Dak got to work on that. Until he gets it in his mind, that, like, Dak's got to work on that. That's the plain and, and, and bottom line. I mean, you can have the best system in the world. He's still going to throw interceptions, you know. But that's all I had to say, Foot, and I appreciate you taking my call. But, uh. But, yeah, I just wanted to clarify that since Patrick Beverly was worried about that, you know. All righty. All right. Um, no, look, we, we, haven't, we haven't gone down that road for a while. Um, you know, fans are, you know, it, it's a strange thing. Like, this idea, you know, I've seen some, quite a few supposed Saints fans who when them the announcement was made that Pete Carmichael was staying on as the offensive coordinator for the Saints they like okay well that's it I'm jumping ship I'm like what <laughs> just again that whole you don't have to be happy about it. There are plenty of things. I mean, I wasn't happy the first time I they, they you know they said, "Well, we're gonna we're gonna um, move on from Latavius Murray. We're gonna we're gonna what? Like w- w- what is happening here? Tony Jones? Like what? What are y'all talking about? Tony Jones? And we talked about that over and over again. Like. You're going to do what? You're going to get rid of a plus downfield runner for for Tony Jones? Has it, you know, you know, and that's the other problem with not be like this this guy went to Notre Dame. Notre Dame's on the list. Notre Dame people never work out for the Saints. You're going to you're going to get rid of you're going to get rid of who for what? So, I mean, you don't have to be happy. But Again, it never even, like, again, people are different. I get that. And Martin's point is, like I always say, it's a free country. I mean, if you want to pull for some team and you want to be whatever, go be it. Some guys are player guys. I mean, I just, I don't want to. I learned at an early age, you just, you can't be a player's guy. Like, when I was 10, 11, 12 years old, Tony Galbraith was my favorite player. Why did I first start it liking Tony Galbraith? Ironically, because he beat Alabama on a Monday night. Missouri, they played a Monday night game at Missouri and Alabama, and Tony Galbraith beat Alabama. I said, man, I kind of like this guy. And then the Saints drafted him in the second round, the very next draft. Chuck Muncie in the first round. Tony Galbraith in the second round, thunder and lightning. And then they, and three years later, they were both gone. So drafted Wes Chandler, great player. A year or two later, he was gone. So I learned early on 
My favorite Astro, 13, 14 years old. Cesar Cedeno, the year, you know, early 80s, he was gone. So I learned early on this whole a player's guy. I just I just don't even I, I don't even think that way. I I can't even comprehend being a player's guy or a coach guy. A coach guy. I, I don't even understand that. Now, if it's your dad or your uncle or your best friend, I don't agree with it, but at least I understand it. But uh, but no, I, I you know I've been a team guy from the very beginning, since you know since I was in you know middle school or so. I figured that out. You just I just you can't do it. You're just asking for trouble. I mean you're just like in the wind, just going all over the place. No, no stability there. So I don't even I can't even comprehend. Well, I don't like Pete Cormichael, so I'm not a Saints fan. Like what? <laughs> I don't even know what that means. I, again, I, I we just it's a free country to Martin's point. Do what you want. Pull for who you want to. But no. I just player guy ne- never will never be. Um again, I I've I've told the story before. I love Drew Brees. Love everything he's done for the Saints. Never owned a Drew Brees jersey, will never own a Drew Brees jersey. Because it's just many of the fans, in my opinion, from my perception, right or wrong, who get mad when they name Pete Carmichael to OC and they're not Saints fans no more, they probably own Drew Brees jerseys. I mean, it's just, they probably own Drew Brees jerseys. You know, they, 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 they didn't go, they don't know who he Shuler is. You know, they, 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 don't, they don't know who Mike Buck is. They don't know who Guido Merkins is. So, I mean, they just, I just, I just can't, I don't think that way. But again, free country, think the way you want. We, you know, I, the whole fans thing is, it's, it's a fascinating subject. I mean, when I started doing sports talk radio 30 years ago, we were talking about that. I mean, it's, it's an, it's a never ending, it's never going to end. And there are always going to be people who are team guys. And then there's going to be fan guys. And I didn't even know there were too many coach guys. But like Martin said, he's a coach guy. No, I, co- I, I just couldn't. I never even think about. Like, I love A.J. Hinch. But when he's not with the Astros no more, I don't care what happens to A.J. Hinch. Like like Rudy said, he ain't no kin of mine. So, no, I don't, I don't, I don't get it. But we're all, you know, we're different. And the truth of the matter is if we were all the same sports talk radio, we'd be kind of boring. So I get that part too, but is what it is, as Devery used to like to say. All right, we'll take a timeout. When we come back, shift gears, talk Cajun men's basketball. Lots to discuss with UL men's basketball coach Bob Marlin on the other side on the game. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Are you fluent in footlish? 
Not to worry. We're here to help with the Footlish Dictionary. The cheaters. Cheaters. The famed hated rival that beat the New Orleans Saints and others so many times in the 80s and 90s by cheating. Also known as the San Francisco 49ers. Now, back to the man with his very own language. Kevin Foote and Footnotes. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. We have with us UL men's basketball coach, Bob Marlin. How are you, sir? Doing great, Kevin. How are you this morning? Pretty good. Uh, well, the weather's bad, so hopefully everyone can be safe today. I know they're letting out schools earlier all around the area, and the good news is it's not Thursday. The Cajuns return to the Cajun home, and you play indoors, which helps with the weather as well. It's been a while. You've been on the road for a long time. I mean, I'm sure it's going to be great fun playing again in the Cajun Dome on Thursday. Yeah, our guys are really excited about being back home in the Cajun Dome and playing in front of our home students and fans and season ticket holders, Kevin. I, we've been on the road. Uh, you and I have talked about this for a long time, but eight of ten games, and uh, we, we weathered that storm. Now we've got seven of ten at home, and we have to try to, make some hay right now and continue to play good basketball. But we're excited to be back home. You said something that I hadn't really thought about it, and, and I don't even know if that's exactly what you meant, but you, you you made a comment yesterday. Now the challenge is to return home and to not just play as well, but try to play even better. And I, I thought about it like sometimes within a, a basketball game, we've all seen it where a team is down by 15 or whatever, and they make this incredible comeback, and then they get to like, you know, even or even get a one-point lead or so, and then they kind of run out of gas. And so y'all have been trying to – we've talked about this 8 of 10 on the road stretch for so long. Now that you've overcome it, it's not, it's not time to like almost ex- exhale because you still got a lot of work left to do. Right, and there's a lot of uh, expectations to win at home, and that's the big challenge. We come back home, we're playing well. The the players are getting patted on the back, and they got to remember what got them to that position, and that was through preparation and working together as a team, staying connected. So uh, the team's in a good place. Uh, We've just got to go play good basketball this week, and we're excited about it. You know, the the thing that, uh, we discussed a little bit yesterday at, at your weekly uh, press conference that, that has been impressive to me is obviously y'all are a good shooting team and that's your M.O. and the stats bear that out. And yet in games that you haven't shot well, y'all have been able to play enough defense or to limit turnovers or win in other ways, which shows good leadership and, and, and you know, good togetherness. And, and I'm sure that's extremely encouraging to you. Yes, no doubt. Uh, we, we've been able to win games in different ways, uh, whether we were home or on the road. We've come from behind. We've struggled at one area, free throw shooting, three-point shooting, field goal shooting, defense, three-point field goal defense, turnovers. Uh, there's there's a lot of different reasons uh, and ways to win basketball games. Uh, but, no, we uh, – like our group and, and think that, you know, we've got a legit chance to win the championship and this Thursday night game is going to be a big step in that direction. The other thing that, to me, 
message that came out of yesterday's press conference, and I wrote about it at, at The Advocate and TheAdvocate.com, is you've, you've won six in a row, you've won four in a row, an historic road trip, especially in conference play, and yet you haven't played your best basketball now. In other words, there's plenty of rooms where it doesn't take a monumental effort areas that where you could improve and play at an even higher level of play in the in the in the near future. Well, from a coaching and playing standpoint, we always feel like we can do more, and uh, we're never going to play the perfect game. But yet, we strive for excellence every day and try to max out each day. And you want to play your best basketball in March. We certainly did that last year, and if we can continue on this track, then I think we can do it again. You know. Um, Michael Thomas, we've talked about, he missed six games. He came back, played about 10 minutes the other night, and he's just kind of getting his, you know, getting back again. And we talked about um, Julian and, you know, what, how to kind of bring Kobe back. And we talked about it before when you were on the show. That's got to be a tough deal because you don't want to push too much, and yet you got he's got to get minutes. So how does that process work? Well, it's all about winning, and Kobe is the ultimate team player. He was in high school. He is, has been with us, uh, and his play, his teammates are pulling for him to be successful, and he's going to have a breakout game soon, uh, Kevin. It's just a matter of, of matchups. It's a matter of working him back in. Obviously, we're winning, so we don't want to disturb that to, you know, to a certain degree, but Kobe's been, been very patient. And uh, he's a winner, and he impacts winning, and I, I feel confident he's going to have a, a good game for us here soon. Well, I think if we look up in the UL basketball dic- dictionary under the word patient in the future, there might be a big picture of Kobe Jr. It's unbelievable what he's going through in his career. Yeah, he's been very patient. And, and this past year, he worked extremely hard after a surgery in March and worked you know, through the summer and – with B.J. Duplantis, our trainer, and rehabbing with the doctors, physical therapy, Oliver Houston, our strength coach, uh, B.J. and Oliver, and the medical team have done a great job with Kobe, and he, he has been through this before, so he knew he, he couldn't eat a lot and didn't want to gain weight. He's just he's worked really hard to get back to the court, and uh, – I'm, I'm telling him you just got to be patient that it's coming. And he's got to get more minutes, more opportunity. I thought he played good on this road trip. Uh, both both two games, he, he did some good things for us. And uh, I've just got to get him out there more, and we're trying to work that into to the rotation. Now, you return home, and you play Troy, and you play Georgia Southern, and those teams have played pretty well. And, um, you know, we talked about it yesterday. If statistically defending the three hasn't been a strength, especially in conference play for for your club, and and, and Troy shoots a lot of three pointers. In fact, they've shot more three pointers than anybody in, in, in conference play. So, do you feel like you've been a little unlucky in that area, or are there definite things y'all can improve on and try to keep that from continuing to be a problem? Well, we need to definitely continue to work on it and, and try to limit the opportunities by any team because the three-point shot's a great equalizer. And the disappointing thing, Kevin, like you said, we did a good job early in the season, but we got in the conference and we, we let some teams we didn't think or statistically were not shooting the three-point shot well. 
and we let them have big nights. Uh, you know, the Arkansas State game, we led wire to wire, but we would have been more successful if we would have limited the three-point shooting of Feltz and Davis and, and Farrington and Ford, and we worked on it all week, and then we let them hit a couple early, and then they just got on a roll. And uh, there's some really good shooters in college basketball, and Troy has some. So we will have to make sure that we limit their opportunities because uh, that will be one of the keys to victory. The uh, They also seem to be a pretty good defensive team. Does that mean they're physical or they move well? Or, like, what's the key to – why are they so good defensively from what you've seen? Just like you said, physical. They play extremely hard. They play with a chip on their shoulder. Uh, Scott's teams are really good at that. And we'll expect a, a, a great defensive effort from these guys and a great effort on, on the boards, too. So this is a, a blue-collar game. If you will, we have to make sure that we uh, are in the trenches, blocking out, defending in the post, uh, being physical on the defensive side. And on the offensive side, we've got to make sure that uh, we can move the ball and and score the ball uh, and, and get on the offensive glass. Is Georgia Southern a little bit more of an unknown? Or, or, or how do you see that matchup? Maybe to some people, but not to us. Brian Berg's done an excellent job there. If you remember last year, they beat us by one point. They were awarded free throws, I think, with nine seconds to go and, and, and beat us by one here at home. And he's gotten better. I mean, he lost a kid to Portal. He's picked up a couple of kids. But their team's playing really good defense also, Kevin. And the games from the defensive standpoint will be similar. So what, what what's the key against them from what you can see on paper with this with that matchup for y'all? Just that we've got to defend them again, limit their three-point shooting. Uh, I hate to say it, but they're a team that has not shot the three-point shot well. And we've got to limit those opportunities, and it should be the tougher team. One more thing before we let you go, Coach. Um I mentioned earlier Mike coming back and having two point guards as a head coach and good point guard options. That 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 that's got to be a luxury that you have kind of been missing, and I'm sure that's something that you're really looking forward to here. Yeah, we're excited to get him back. Famous folks has had to carry heavy minutes uh, throughout his absence, and has done a good job uh, for us. There's no doubt, but we need Mike back. He was a little rusty the other night, just like when Kobe came back at Coastal Carolina. It takes a couple of games to get back in the swing of things. Uh, Mike had an excellent workout yesterday, and and, uh, I'm anxious to see what he'll do today in practice. All right, Coach. Hopefully we get the fans to start flocking to the Cajun Home. A lot of things to be excited about. Looking forward to seeing you Thursday. Good luck, Coach. Yes, and also, Kevin, let me remind everybody, it's Coaches vs. Cancer Week, suits and sneakers, and uh, I, I'm going to volunteer to to give a hundred dollars for every Cajun three point shot made this weekend in these two games, and would like for other people to jump on. I'll put something online about it, uh, but we'd love to support the coaches versus cancer cause. As we know, it's a, a affected all of us to some degree. Absolutely, thank you, Coach. All right, bye bye. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. 
Are you fluent in footlish? Not to worry. We're here to help with the Footlish Dictionary. Z28. Z28. Now, a running back with great speed and start and go ability, like a Chevy Camaro that plays for the New Orleans Saints, also known as Alvin Camara. Now, back to the man with his very own language, Kevin Foote and Footnotes. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. Want to remind you the game hotline, 706-0111, About 10-15, we'll be talking to Michael Schwab of the Jukes Box Journal. Other than that, phone lines, the game hotline, I should say, would be will be open. Of course, if the Saints have another year of offensive football like they did this past year, and really the year before, but I think the year before was just – a little more, I mean, both both seasons were riddled with injuries, but the year before was a little more understandable why they did what they did. I just didn't have the like to go through it. We're going to have to change 41's mask uh, nickname from Z28 to Mack Truck because that's what they're trying to make him, a skinny Mack Truck. Well, that makes sense. Well, that makes a lot of sense. Um, And we brought up Pete Carmichael indirectly a couple times already today um and i i still think that all speculation none of us really know what they're saying behind closed doors but but i i think part of the reason why they kept him is because they didn't blame him some of the things that Nothing on the Saints team made any sense this year. They they misused 41. Their two best receiving weapons are down the field finesse speed guys, and they had a crawfish at quarterback who, who rarely ever throws deep and throws underneath. So he he requires possession receivers and a running game. Well, the running game was non-existent most of the season because you didn't have any running backs. Hard to have a running game. You have no running backs. You had no running backs, and so you had no running game. Your offensive line was hurt, and you had a possession receiver quarterback who liked to back up and throw the ball away. I mean, and, and liked to back up and take sacks, I should say. And so, and then, and then your best receivers are finesse guys who can get down the field. So you needed a quarterback to utilize those guys. You needed a quarterback that can throw down the field. They didn't have that. So, again, I don't know how much of all of that was the O.C.'s fault. I think they kind of reached that conclusion. Is that, you know, he didn't. maybe he didn't pick the quarterback. Like most of us are assuming that he did. Maybe he had nothing to do with who was the starting quarterback. Maybe he had nothing to – to do with not having any running backs. You know, he obviously didn't volunteer for Jarvis Landry and Michael Thomas to not play all season, which is, you know, they missed those guys tremendously. So, you know, the 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 offense this year was so disjointed, made absolutely no sense all season long. It was square peg, round hole all season. This entire offensive everything having to do with the offense. And I, I think many people are blaming Pete Carmichael for 
when I don't know how much of the square peg round hole he was really responsible for. I don't know. I don't know that he has that much or any say so at all on personnel and who you play here and who you play there and who you cut and who you kept and obviously has no control over injuries. So, I, I, you know, that, again, that's part of why, while I would have liked to have had a change because I didn't like what happened on offense almost all season, um, I think I get how they reached that conclusion. Uh, but they, they've got to change things to make it work. It's not going to work no matter who the offensive coordinator is. And again, many of the issues that we had started before Casper left. You know, Casper made the decision, theoretically, to get rid of Latavius Murray. It was not Pete Carmichael. Casper made the decision to make 41 a dump truck. It was not Pete Carmichael. Casper made the decision over and over not to throw Batman hardly at all. Pete threw the ball. Pete used him a little. I think Pete used Batman better than than Casper did. Uh, did they use him enough to my liking? Absolutely not. And we don't know that Pete had anything to do with Crawfish being the quarterback all year. Maybe he did. But I kind of I kind of put that one on the head coach. I kind of blame Dennis Allen for that decision. So, I don't know. Not as bad as many think. Another hour to follow. Stay tuned. Broadcasting live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette. Two hours of sports talk like none other. Footnotes with your host, Kevin Foote. Welcome. Into footnotes, Kevin Foot on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station in your home for the LSU Tigers in the World Series champion, Houston Astros, simulcast on Stadium 32.3, 133. On LUS Fiber, the game hotline is 706011. 706-0111. If you would like to get in, we will um Again, I'll be talking a little baseball later in the hour, but there's time if you want to get more into the football talk. We talked quite a bit, obviously, about the division around playoff games yesterday. If you have any more thoughts on those or want to start a little earlier to um, look forward to the weekend of the championship games, again, it seems like, Although, you know, Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs and Andy Reid um, have, you know, been a, the dominant or the most dominant, I would say, the most consistent football program, uh, football, I should say, uh, franchise in professional sports over the last five years. Not a lot of talk last week. I think most people assume Jacksonville would get beat. Um, but... I was shocked that they were minus two and lost by seven. That tells me that straight up, probably Jacksonville wins. And now, was that them just matching up with them? Was that them overlooking them? Was that Kansas City just kind of easing into the playoffs? I mean, 
Who knows? I mean, the the Bengals should have got the Bengals didn't look good against against Baltimore. Now that's a division opponent, but they didn't look good against Baltimore. Their offense did nothing in the second half, and they were very, very, very fortunate to win that game. So just because you play bad one week or mediocre one week doesn't mean you're gonna do you know, play the same way the next week. I mean, Dallas looked great against the Yucks and got everybody got a lot of Cowboy fans excited and then they played a better football team and they weren't and they didn't look as good. I mean, I, the, and all that makes sense. I mean, it I mean, even the Arnold's offense did really well against the Yucks at the end. So I, I don't I don't think Tampa's defense was terrible all year, but by the end of the year, they were not playing very well. I mean, they Sam Darnold looked pretty explosive against against the Yucks, and he and he threw for what? I don't remember what the total, but like 60, 70 yards. I mean, he didn't hardly he couldn't do anything against the Saints. Of course, the Saints' offense was so dysfunctional and the special teams so messed up that it didn't matter. They still found a way to blow the game, but ten to seven. But but it wasn't because of Darnold's offense for sure. Um, so I don't know. It's hard to, to gauge Kansas city. It's hard. You know, high ankle sprain does not sound good to me. Doesn't, doesn't sound real good at all, especially the way the Bengals can pressure the quarterback without having to blitz. They've done a fabulous job of pressuring quarterbacks without having to blitz. And so it is, um, you know, I think that, it's hard for me right now, even though I fully expected the Bengals to not be in this position. Uh, they have overcome obstacle after obstacle all year long, and their defense has played tremendous when it had to. Um, I'm not so sure that right now, another way of looking at this thing, I'm not so sure that right now Jacksonville is not playing at a higher level than the Bills. Because, again, I, I don't know where to – at the end of the year, I don't know where the Bills really were. I, I think – I don't know how good they really were at the end of at the end of the season. Secondary decimated with injuries, uh, the mental toughness of the team and, and being distracted, and um, it was pretty obvious Josh Allen after his injury, you know, obviously he played and he, and he – at times he played pretty well, but – didn't ever really look the same uh, after that. Uh, I thought that maybe relying on the running game would help them because of his injury, and in the end it really didn't because they couldn't really run the football. Well, they might have been able to run it pretty effectively had they not had their defense not been so decimated in the secondary and just, I mean, they were getting run over. So it was very hard to be patient when their defense was getting crushed and run the football. So, again, a lot of different ways to look at that matchup. But on paper, it's hard to – it'd be hard to pick the Chiefs right now. I got to tell you, it, you know, if Mahomes wasn't hurt, you maybe feel a little better. But I, I don't know how good the Chiefs' defense really is. I mean, they're opportunistic, and they have some really good defensive linemen that can put some pressure – but I don't, I don't know how, how good they are. Now, 
It won't shock me if they play better than the Bills' defense played because, again, the Bills' defense was not itself by the end of the year. They, they had way too many injuries in the secondary, way too many, including Hamlin. Um, so we have that matchup, and then uh, I don't – the Eagles' cheater matchup to me is just fascinating. I mean, I don't, I don't, I, I've been saying all year long, I think the cheaters are going to the Super Bowl. But now that we're at the championship game, like I said yesterday, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't, the Eagles look pretty good. And they, ha, they really weren't tested either. So I get that. But the Eagles look pretty good. Jalen Hurts is fascinating. Uh, you know, you're not going to find me say a whole lot of bad stuff about the Eagles because you know how bad the Saints match up with the Eagles horribly. But I think Jalen Hurts is a classic example of what I've said for years, even before, way before I knew who Jalen Hurts was, that if he, I think he's just perfect for the offense he's in, for the head coach he has, the play caller he has, um, and I think if he played for the, I don't know, Cleveland Browns, Chicago Bears, we wouldn't think he was very good at all. But I think he's perfect. He's kind of like the running quarterback version in this offense of Kurt Warner, who I think was an overrated quarterback. Um, because he had to be in a certain offense with a certain kind of a play caller. And if he got that, he could flourish. If he didn't get that, wasn't very good. And and, and I think that um, is kind of what he is right now. But you know what? If you're an Eagles fan, who cares what anybody thinks about him? Because it's working, and they're good. And the Cheaters' defense is dominant. But just like the Saints' defense, it's a lot easier to defend a quarterback that stays in the pocket than it is a quarterback that can run like Hurts can. So it's going to be a it's going to be a fascinating matchup Sunday, really. Let's go to the game hotline. Hello. Morning. Good morning, sir. You know, interesting. I I think it's going to be Philly and since in the Super Bowl. And the interesting thing about that is the, the matchup of the quarterbacks, the two quarterbacks that got basically run out of the college they went to and went to another college and, and flourished and uh you know and then became both uh authentic quarterbacks in the NFL. Do you remember that there was talk that he was going to transfer, and I think it was just rumors, but there was talk that he was going to transfer to Texas State. And that cat, yes, I mean, oh, really? and, and and now like he's like you know star quarterback in the NFL. It's just amazing. But go ahead. But you know, Kevin, going back to Cincinnati, I I, I think Cincinnati they built their defense over the last couple of years to stop passing teams. I mean, you notice whenever they play like Kansas City or Buffalo, a team that pass a lot, they'll drop eight and, you know, only rush three and play a very exotic defense to confuse the quarterback. They're a built to stop a passing team. And yeah, let me tell you something. I forget the name of that DC, but boy, he's hell of a, he's very creative. And uh, what he does with uh, passing teams is uh, very, very, very uh Good to see. Don't you don't you agree? I agree, but to your point, they're not really facing one of those this week. Oh, the, the Kansas City? No, no, oh no, that's true. Kansas City. I never mind. Never mind. I, I'm still was I'm still was was messed up with the NFC. No, you're you're correct. You're correct. But then that leads to what I think the matchup is going to be in the Super Bowl. I think Cincinnati will have problems with every one of these teams comes up. I think it will be Philadelphia because they're going to be running things. So that's the point I was getting to. You know, they're going to be set up to be Kansas City and team, as passing teams, but 
either team they're going to play in, 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 the, in the Super Bowl if they get by Kansas City won't, will not be a passing team. But you know what's amazing to me is the running backs for the Chiefs have been, done a lot more damage this year than I thought they would do. I mean, they they aren't like these great running backs that you talk about. You know, they're not like, you know, elite-type running backs, not even to the level of Mixon or anything like that. But but those guys are quick, and they make a, they've make they made a lot of plays this year. But they're going to have to this weekend. No, they will. I mean, no, I, again, I, I, I don't – from a football standpoint, X's and O's, I don't I don't see uh, – it's hard for me to pick the Chiefs in this matchup. I'm with you. Yeah, and look, I'm going to say, D.C., he has – he's in any read mind. Watch that game as much progresses. The more that game goes on, you're going to see Andy Reid get desperate and do things he's not supposed to, that he normally doesn't do. Because we all know Andy Reid is probably the greatest coach to have in the NFL right now. But when he comes and then, and then championship game. He always usually comes up small. Have a good one, Kevin. Take care. No, if you're going to be critical of him, he does have that history. That 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 is that is a fair comment. Now, I'm not saying nor in good reasons. Uh, I'm just saying I, I I get that comment. Let's go back to the game hotline. Hello. What's going on, brother Kev? How are you, sir? Are you nervous or relaxed or what are you this week? Um. I was nervous with the cop man. That was a that was a nerve wracking game nine nine for a long time. So um, Philly, um, I don't know Kevin because we great we so our front seven so great against the run and we fly to the ball. So I don't know how to, and I don't know if, if Hurts is healthy. So I we really don't know. You know what I'm saying? I know I know our secondary iffy. You know, but. I don't know. I mean, like the, the feeling struggle against the Cardinals. They struggle against a few teams, so we don't know. You know what I'm saying? You're never going to know till you play them. So their running know. game I mean, is different. Though. I mean, we uh, they're, they're, I feel we got more experience because we was in the championship game last year. Kyle should know, you know. But I still go back to a rookie quarterback, Kevin. He used this last week of the draft for a reason, man. I'm not knocking him. He do it well, but. That's the only. That's the only thing I see. He never played a bad game yet, and I'm just hoping that. I but when was the last know, time y'all played a running game with a running quarterback? It's been a while. Um, we struggled though. Um, Wilson for Seattle, he would kill us all the time. We, we, it's like we could not. We never could stop a running quarterback. How about with Kyler? Does he, does he run much against y'all, or y'all just own them? Yeah, he do, but I mean, we, you know, it's a division, so it's kind of like when you play them all the time, we figure them out. It's like the first half we struggle, second half we we just run away with. It. Just like Seattle this year, they we, they did good with us in the first half, but second half we made adjustment. And it's like like you said, a better team. It's like sometimes you hang with them, but then a better team gonna actually win. You know, so I think Philly linebackers not that great like Dallas. So I think McCaffrey and Mitchell in the passing game, that way, that's where Kyle go get them at, I think. What you think? No, I I, 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 like, I like I like your matchup there pretty good. And, you know, they can really rush the passer. Obviously, they, you know, 
historically good at rushing the passer. But y- y'all but y'all don't have just this straight drop back, sit in the pocket all day kind of a passing game. So I, I think y'all are going to counteract that pretty well. Well, I, I just think Kyle going to make him get the ball out of his hand less than two seconds. Right. That, that's, that, right. that's the only way to get him. I mean, we, I think we're going to do more slant. I don't know. I don't know what Philly play. Does Philly play man on the back end, or they play zone? Kev? Or you probably you don't you don't. I don't watch them enough the to know what they, they normally. Play. Look, the Saints moved the ball pretty consistently yeah. against them, and, and it seemed like they were playing more zone against the Saints than than some teams do. But I, as far as what they normally do, I don't. I don't. I don't. I couldn't help tell you there. Well, I know the Saints front line gave them problems, but I know it wouldn't. It wouldn't. Hurts either, but I mean the Saints. The Saints was gave them a lot of problems at the front, so I, I don't know, Kevin. I mean, I'm, I, I, it's like it's a up and it's just we can't turn the ball over. I know that. Well, it would certainly not be a good idea. We'll see. We'll talk more about it as the week goes on. Good hearing from you. Hang in there, sir. All right, thank you. All right, we're gonna do this. Take a timeout when we come back. On the other side, switch gears to some baseball talk with our friend Michael Schwab of the Juice Box Journal next. Stay tuned. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Kevin Foote, an award-winning journalist, popular sports talk show host. And a man who apparently moonlights as a doctor. A medicine season of a different strand in 12, obviously, because the criminal commissioner decide to inflict them with, with the, the host bounty gate silliness. His descriptions of illnesses are extremely concise. Not a normal strand of a medicine season. It was a different strand. This out of the blue from Timbuktu and all of this bounty gate silliness. Dr. Foot is ready to write a prescription for what ails your favorite team here with more footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to the game. Before we um, move on, we want to get in. To our special guest, Mr. Michael Schwab of the Juice Box Journal, shift gears to baseball a little bit. How are you, sir? I'm doing good. We're getting hit by rain, so uh, just staying covered, but I'm good. How about yourself? Kevin? Yeah, they're canceling school this afternoon and canceling all the high school basketball and soccer games around here, so apparently the weather is coming our way. So I know we're, you know, basketball season's in the middle here and NFL is in the championship round of the playoffs, and yet baseball is, what, about three to four weeks away from pitchers and catchers reporting. Yeah, I mean, we're getting down to the minute. We're 20 days away from catchers reporting. I mean, that's a, 21 days for the 15th of, for the Astros. So we're getting there and then closer to the first game, which would be against the Mets in spring training, and then, of course, opening day on March 30th. So we're we're in the home stretch. We're less than 70 days from we see true baseball. All right, so are we at the point now that – you 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 should we should probably be figuring out that Corey Lee is going to be on the opening day roster. Or are you not there yet? 
No, I, I think I'm 100% there, and there's a couple different reasons why. I mean, if you look at what the Astros have been doing in the community, they're doing this thing called a caravan, which they do. They try to do every year, just depending with COVID. They take their players out into the into the community, go different places. Uh, well, Corey Lee was one of those guys that was out there and about, and out there meeting people. And they use prospects. They use lots of different people. David Hensley, Corey Lee, to the big names that you're seeing out there. Uh, to me, that was a significant show that they are going to be saying, hey, let's go with Corey Lee as a backup to Maldi. And, you know, Maldi is going to – Maldonado is going to get all of the – you know, all of the starts, but they're signifying that Corey Lee will be taking that backup position specifically since they did not sign a free agent backup. So I think that job is Corey Lee's defensively. He's there hitting wise. They're a bit worried about that and they need to work on that. Uh, but I think he'll start the season on the roster. The other catcher in the system is Jenny or Diaz. I think he'll probably start at, um, with Sugar Land. And so that's, I think, how we're going to see it start. We'll see Maldi get most of, the, most of the touches, that catcher, and then Corey Lee right there. The thing is, though, at all positions, but especially catcher, like you could say, well, so-and-so's a hitter. Like they say Diaz is a hitter. But that doesn't mean he's going to be ready this coming year to, to be any kind of an efficient hitter at the major league level. That's exactly right. I mean, and one of the biggest issues with Diaz is he makes really bad choices with his swings. So when he does make contact, you know, he's either hitting a homer or he's hitting, you know, for extra base hits. But, you know, when you get to Major League Baseball, they see how you are as a hitter and they use it against you. So when he first came up, uh, he had a couple games where he was up. He swung at every little pitch, and that can't do it for you in, in, in Major League Baseball. Now, you look at someone like David Hensley, who's the prospect. Uh, he's your utility, he'll be your utility player for the year. He has great uh, awareness in the batter's box. He doesn't swing. He takes. He hits good good hits. That's what they want to see from that position. So I think Diaz still needs some time to be able to recognize what is a good major league pitch. Corey Lee, I think, has that ability to wait and see. But they're really going to be using him from a defensive standpoint or to just give Maldi some rest. So is Hensley the reason why, essentially, a lot of people wanted them to, even though they got Abreu, to still re-sign Yuli, the fact that that didn't happen because Hensley's younger, and, and, or, or, or is, is it not, was it not a Hensley or Yuli kind of situation? It was never a Hensley versus Yuli kind of situation at all. I mean, the biggest thing is they would love for Yuli Guriel to return to the team. But, you know, from his perspective, if he wants to start or be able to get as much touches at first base as he can, well, the Astros put millions and millions of dollars into Jose Breu, who is older, of course, and just a little bit younger than Yuli, not much, but he has the ab- a- ability to bring an important bat to this lineup. His defensive ability is pretty comparable to Yuli, maybe just a tad lower. Um, but, I mean, the, the reason when they got Abreu is because of his bat. And so when that happened, that signified that first base is set. Yuli's not going to get that spot anymore. Maybe he can come back as a super utility player. Um, I think at the end of the day, he probably signs with the Marlins or with the Twins. And there's no bad blood. It's a business at the end of the day. And David Hensley has just stepped up as a huge player. He can play all over the field, even in the outfield, but they're really happy with how he plays in the infield. And something not being discussed is his height 
and reach. And with the, the shift being banned, I think you'll see Hensley a lot at second base, which is going to really help this team later in games. All right. Before I forget, uh, for anyone who getting ready for baseball season and they want to follow you all season, I know some people started following you once things got down to stretch drive and want to follow you all season. T- tell people, Michael, how, how they follow you this year and get all the great information you have. Yes, absolutely. So find me on Twitter, Michael Schwab 13. I run the Juice Box Journal, which is a newsletter that I'll be posting a little bit more as we get close to the season. Um, you'll find all my Astros related tweets there, insider info, anything you can. And most importantly, I love the team and just want them to do well. So that's what you'll see from me. All right. So are you worried? I'm just worried at his age, the injuries that he played with. It's like, it's like Yuli. I mean, um, it's like the guy called Candy Maldonado. He put it all on the line last year. What are the, I'm just concerned that he's going to hit a wall age wise and physically, and he plays a demanding physical position. How worried are you that he's just going to hit a wall at some point this year and have nothing left? I mean, I think you have to look at the law of averages. And more than anything, he should have hit that wall last year or the year before or the year before that. And, and he hasn't yet. And I think the thing about him is the resiliency of him. Now, now, more than anything, I know people focus on his bat and they worry about his bat. He actually hit better, not for average, but for, for home runs, better than his career. The thing that matters is his longevity, and he's had it. He has most of the innings caught than, than most of the catchers in the game, and he commands that, and he does that at 36 years old. He's still not super old. 36 is, you know, not Sprite, but we're not talking about 40 years old. So I, I don't know if this is the last year that we see Maldi at his best. He's been doing it for over 10 years. Um, I, I'm not too concerned about the longevity. Uh, and, and, you know, the truth is they're not worried about his bat either because that's the reason why you get players like Obreu and Brantley, 300 hitting hitters, the lineup, so that you don't worry about the nine spot and say, if you can get good stuff out of it, you will. More than anything, he played with a sports hernia all the way through the playoffs, and he played with a hurt finger. So I think he'll do whatever it takes. If his arm falls off, he'll still play. <laughs> Well, I, you know, again, obviously it's, it's tremendous what he's done, and hopefully that can happen. All right, so you're an analytical guy when it comes to baseball, and I think this season is going to be fascinating for a lot of reasons, but the main reason why is the whole outlawing of the shift, the impact that that could have on pitching staffs and hitters all over the league is going to be so fascinating to monitor as the season goes on. Have you wrapped your mind around that yet? Yeah, I've looked into it a little bit, and I've looked into more of a hitting perspective than I have as a defensive perspective. So just to clarify for everyone who's trying to understand what the shift exactly is, the shift means that an infielder, like a second baseman or shortstop, can move anywhere, go into the outfield to kind of you know, catch against a hitter's bad tendencies. So, for example, Joey Gallo, a lefty hitting person, he struggles with, you know, hitting the left. So, you know, what they're going to do is just remove everyone from over there. Well, because of the band shift, the shortstop and third baseman have to stay left of the second base with their feet on the dirt as well as on the right side for second and first. So 
Uh, okay, a couple different things. There's data about the Astros. They will greatly benefit from the shift being banned from a hitting perspective. Actually, one of the top teams to do so. So you've got players like Kyle Tucker, who's going to do ex- you know extraordinarily well because the shift is banned. Um, I, th- I think Jordan will do well. It won't affect Brantley as much because he can hit anywhere. Uh, Bregman is someone who's going to be benefit greatly from this. Now, the one thing that is going to hurt this team is from a defensive perspective because the Astros are, the past five years, the, the team that has shifted the most against any other team. So now they're going to have to change their whole defensive perspective, and Joe Espada, their bench coach, will help with that. It, it'll just be interesting to see how it hurts the pitchers this year for the Astros because you've got brown ball pitchers like Lance McCullers and like Framber, Framber Valdez, you know, do they get a lot of hits against them? Are we able to move the shortstop and second baseman in places to help them? That's where we'll see an issue. It will be very fascinating to watch. All right, well, I just wanted to catch up with you. We appreciated your time at the end of last season with you. Look forward to it, following you this year. Thank you very much, and I can't wait for baseball season. Absolutely, Kevin. And tonight they announced the Hall of Fame uh, people, so hopefully Billy Wagner gets in. I don't know if he will this year, but uh, we've got a lot of news going on. But thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Thank you. Michael Schwab at a Juice Box Journal. Look forward to baseball season and following Michael all season. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. You can call in and say Pete Rose deserves to be in the Baseball Hall of Fame. You can call and proclaim that the Houston Astros were the only team that stole signs. Just know this. Foot will disagree with you. Call into Footnotes with Kevin Foot at 337-706-0111. Back to more Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes, Kevin Foot on the game. Well, um, I just kind of said this. I, I really wanted to hear what Michael had to say about the Astros catcher situation. Look, I look. I hope he's right, but I mean, thirty-seven years old as a catcher is is you can't compare that to 37 years old with like you know a second baseman or a, even a pitcher and you know as, depending on how the pitcher's shoulder or elbow history injury history but man I don't know I I think catcher's a tough position and I I, I am really worried look I hope Michael is correct I mean I I hope Candy's going to be fine all year defensively. And, again, people worry that, he, you know, he doesn't hit for a high average. I don't worry about that. I I was elated with what Candy provided offensively. Like, he hit one something all year, but, but, that, but that doesn't matter. Did we learn that the Astros can win the World Series with Candy hitting 100-something? Yeah, we learned that pretty well. But – but more than that, he got on base at critical times. He hit for a little power. He drove in a view. He was not 
completely inept on offense. And again, I, I'm not even worried about his offense. I'm worried about his defense. Now, he, I, I thought he was a sieve at times last year. Way too many balls got by him. So is that going to get worse this year? I, I don't know. I just I think they're asking a lot of him. Um, young players, you never really know when they're going to kind of hit a wall or jump to that next level. I mean, Corey Lee looks to part. He does. He looks to part. I don't know if he's going to be able to hit. I don't expect him to hit a lot, but he's got to be able to do the defensive side. And most importantly, he's got to be able to handle pitchers. You know, that's the thing that that Candy does the best. He handles pitchers as good as any catcher in baseball, and he certainly does a great job with this pitching staff. They talk about all the work that he puts in behind the scenes, studying and preparing pitchers in the defense for for how they need to get people out, and obviously they've done a great job. I mean, really, I, look, the bullpen was arguably the best bullpen season in the history of the sport. Like, I don't know if it was, but it, you could argue it. It was incredible. And, the you know, would the catching situation change that at, at all? Will just, uh, you know, the, the, the bullpen's probably going to have a bit of a medicine season. I know that. I mean, it just, I mean, you just, you, there's no way they can do what they did last year. There's no way it can be that good. Now, the shift could impact a lot of it. No question. Um, and the shift, like we were just discussing, is just a great unknown. So I, I think it's going to be fascinating uh, how getting rid of the shift or the least exaggerated shift will um, will impact a lot of teams, especially the Astros who do it as much or more, really more than anyone. Um, but he mentioned the Hall of Fame, and, and I was going to get to that, but we kind of ran out of time. And today, we're going to find out if anybody else is going to go into the Hall of Fame. Nine times over the years, they've had votes, and no one got in. So this is not a quota system. And I like the fact that Major League Baseball, the Hall, their Hall, its Hall of Fame, or you know, is stricter than the other sports. I don't I'm not a let everybody in the Hall of Fame and I I think it's I I love I'm not saying it's always accurate or fair necessarily. I'm not saying that everyone who cast a vote for some of these players and they don't get in those were bad votes. But I love the message that it sends when they have a vote and we say, "You know what? No one is going in." Like, we're not putting you in just because we got to have someone this year. No one is going in. I, I love the message of that, 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 you know, there's a standard, and if, and, if, and if we don't meet it, then no one's going in. We're not going to just put someone in for the sake of it. Now, uh, the thought process, and I don't think I'm being biased because one played for the Astros and the other one didn't. I mean – the thought process or the expect expectation that if someone gets in, it's going to be Scott Rowland. 
and I don't know how you would vote if you had a vote, but let me just ask you, if you're a big baseball fan, would when you compare Scott Rowland to all, and maybe this is not unfair, but I'm going to ask it anyway. If you compare Scott Rowland to all the other third basemen you've ever seen, and you compare Billy Wagner to all the other closers you've ever seen, which one would be higher on your Hall of Fame credential list? I'm not so sure Wagner wasn't a better closer than Scott Rowland was a third baseman. Now, Scott Rowland was a great defensive third baseman. I just, I don't know. I think he, I'm not a big closer guy, so I understand uh, if you have, like, I still think it's silly that Mariano Rivera has the high. I mean, he's a, he was a closer. He was a he's a guy who was a complete failure as a starting pitcher. He had to make him a closer, and he did an incredible job of putting it in, in, in uh, making a, an incredible career. And should he be in the Hall of Fame? Yeah, but to say that he was like more of a Hall of Famer than Babe Ruth, I, I just think it, or Ty Cobb or anybody else, is just silly to me. I I, I still don't like that part of it. But uh, so I'm not like I get the reservations with closers. But uh, and, and and Billy Wagner was that as well, by the way. Billy Wagner was a failed starting pitcher, and so they made a closer out of him, and he was a great closer. And I I still remember staying up late one I don't remember the day of the week one night. It was in the mid nineties, and the Astros were at Dodger Stadium, and they brought you know young William Wagner from Ferrum College, and we had heard about him, and, and, and I wanted to see what he looked like, and and he blew somebody away. I don't remember the hitter, and I just remember being all fired up. I mean, that's that's the fun part of being a fan. You get this young player, and you hear about him, and then he, he comes to the major leagues, and he has his first big moment as a pitcher, gets out of a jam, and you just love it. I, I don't know. I, I'm surprised – I think Wagner's within the range, but I'm surprised that he wasn't more respected because he did play in Philly and he did play for the Mets and and some of the big markets. And I've always thought he was highly respected. I think you know he's a guy he has a career array of 231, a WHIP of 099. I mean, he has a ton of strikeouts, a ton of saves. Personally, I'd vote for Wagner over some of these other. And I'm not even a huge closer guy. Uh, but we'll see if Scott Rowland gets in. Beltron's another guy. I don't think he's going to get in, but, you know, he's probably going to get enough votes to continue to be on that pace. I don't think he's a slam dunk. Um, he was a very talented player. Now, you know, his role in the whole banging of the trash cans thing uh, some people aren't going to vote for him because of that. You know, obviously, uh, you know, we, whatever, his whole sign skilling thing, I wonder if he had it in St. Louis. Really, I do wonder. Um, but, I mean, he, he obviously brought it to the Yankees, and then he brought it to the Astros, said, I want a piece of that. So they brought him there, and he brought it to Houston, and then he went back to the Yankees, and they benefited from it. And so, I, I mean, did he – did it play a role? Yeah. I mean, I don't think that should keep him out of the Hall of Fame. And 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 by that time, he was at the end of his career anyway. He his his Hall of Fame playing years were over. 
he just, you know, got caught up in that old, the silliness of taking advantage of technology, which a lot of people were doing, and apparently he was better at it than a lot of people. I, I don't think that should keep him out of the Hall of Fame. But I also don't think he's a slam dunk guy. But, but I, I think he'll eventually get in. But he's not getting in now. I don't, I, don't, I don't believe that. All right. That'll do it for a little baseball talk in the middle of football season here. We'll take a timeout and be back. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Do you ever wonder what kind of coach foot would have been? When they hit it to you and you're in the major leagues, you catch the ball. That's the way that works. Yeah, he may be better suited for talking sports than coaching them. Back to footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes, Kevin Foot on the game. So we talked a little baseball today. And again, it was fitting. They're going to get a Hall of Fame vote tonight. I kind of expect it to be no one, but we'll see. Uh, some people think Scott Rowland may get in. Uh, some people think maybe Wagner has a chance. I don't. I hope he gets in. I don't really know that he's going to get in. So we'll we'll kind of wait and see on that. Um, and we talked certainly a little basketball today with Cajun men's basketball coach Bob Marlin. And from that conversation, again, I we're, we're going to continue to monitor. How quickly Michael Thomas can get back. They need him. You know, at point guard, the point guard play has been way better than it's been in recent years. You know, the biggest problem in recent years, and and it's been solved, no question. You know, point guard and three-point shooting. And I think you could argue those are two of the strengths. You've got a point guard who's among the nation leaders in assists. Uh, he's got a strong personality, and I think he's a good leader. Is he perfect? No. And especially when Mike Thomas got hurt and missed six games, you know, there were times where he tried to do too much, but there's probably a little bit too much on his shoulder. So I I think it's going to be a great luxury without having to shift guys' roles too much when he starts getting a little too out of hand with drives or taking poor shots or just kind of, um, you know, turning it over a little too much. They can bring Mike Thomas into the game and sit Themis down for a little while and um, calm him down or just change the way, you know, the approach a little bit, give him a few in- a little few instructions and bring back in the game and things won't, you know, everyone doesn't have to change their role. Like Contrell doesn't have to try to become a point guard on a, on a, you know, for a, for a spell there. And so I think all of that is good. Um, the three point shooting, you never know. You know, sometimes I hear head coaches, I'll watch a game and they'll give themselves a lot of credit for the defense, doing a great job of, of defending the three. And sometimes it's just, you know, the other guys, whether they make the shots or not. Now, there's no question if you leave guys consistently open, their chances of making threes are higher than others. But there's plenty of times where you play good defense and you're in a guy's face and he still nails the three. 
So some of that, I think it's, you know, good fortune. Whether they're going to make a bunch of threes or not. Um, now, you know, on um, it's, all, it's certainly a strategy, part of the strategy of defense to leave this guy open a little bit and to put more pressure on the other guys who are better offensive players. And so that's a calculated risk. And if that guy's going to make three-pointers, you kind of shake his hand and move forward. So, But there's no question. You look at the, you look at the, the stats, and in three-point shooting defense, the Cajuns are all the way at the bottom. And Troy's all the way at the top. And so... It will be interesting to see if the how the Cajuns do in terms of their efficiency of hitting three-pointers, which for the most part has been really high. Not at Texas State. At San Marcos, it was really low. They shot about 20%. Um, didn't make a whole lot of them. And so we'll see if how they do against Troy. The point of all that is uh, this is not going to be an easy matchup. Now, Last year, Troy had more of an inside player presence, a force in the post, and that kid whose name I struggled to pronounce last year when I had it in front of me, so I'm not even going to try to pronounce it when I don't have his name in front of me, went to went to SMU. The Cajuns played against him earlier this season and, um, and won that game. But they were shooting a lot of threes and playing defense, and that's kind of the way some teams play basketball now. Shoot a lot of threes, try to play defense. And so they don't turn over the ball a great deal, and they force a lot of turnovers. So, again, these teams aren't real dissimilar in some ways. The difference is the Cajuns have a dominant post presence on the offensive side in Jordan Brown that Troy doesn't really have that guy. So I expect them to play physical. Uh, like Coach Marlin was saying, and, and I think it's it's not going to be an easy game for the Cajuns. Uh, I think it's going to be a tough one in a, in a lot of ways. So we'll see how um, how that matchup plays out, and then Georgia Southern how they do. But the Cajuns are in great position. You just got to win at home. Now they're talking about going undefeated at home for the season, and it's certainly a, 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 a I guess a good goal to have. How realistic that is, I don't know. That, that'll be a tough chore. If they do, they're going to run away with this league. If they go undefeated, I think. They'll win the league. I say run away. I, I think they'll, they'll win the league, the regular season title. If they go undefeated at home, I, I think they would. But I think that's a tough chore. They, they've got some good teams, including Marshall, who coming into the season, I think a lot of people thought Marshall was high. Like, probably the team to beat, even though the coaches didn't vote it that way. I think a lot of people thought Marshall was the team to beat, and they're playing really well. Now, they've played a lot more home games than the Cajuns have, so we'll see how they do when they go on the road. But um, that really could be. You know, part of yesterday's press conference was they, they brought the, the Cajun chicken out there and a lot of the young Cajun fans and media members, they don't know anything about the Cajun chicken. And, um, you know, I'm not, I've am i always been a guy, you know, never worried about dance lines and cheerleaders and mascots and all that part of the game. But I'm worried about, you know, the game, the teams and the coaches and the players and, 
and all of that. But there's no, it's just no arguing how good the Cajun chicken was. And so it's going to be great nostalgia, and it's going to be great um, fun. Anybody who was in the the early Cajun, the late Blackham, early Cajun gnome days, who who saw the Cajun chicken perform, and to have him back for that game. Uh, what is that? A week from this Saturday, when Marshall comes to town, it, it's gonna be it's gonna be great fun. Now, hopefully, the Cajuns win. I mean, we'll talk about that more later. But there's so many games in the past where they they build up to this big Saturday game and they don't win. And hopefully, they can get that W because I think that would change the minds of a lot of people in terms of how much they want to support and believe in this program because they've they've done a great job. Um, getting to this point, and now they got to make hay now that they're at the Cajun Dome. We'll see how they play against Troy on Thursday. So tomorrow we'll be shifting gear, talking with Koki Riley about LSU situations, a little more in different sports. I mean, I don't know how much men's basketball we're going to be talking about for the rest of the year because not a whole lot to discuss, uh, but we will play that out tomorrow. Y'all have a nice day.